And if you look with me in chapter 6, verse 19, I'm going to read verses 19 to 24, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus is interested in helping us think through the money we have, the possessions we seek. Why do we have what we have? And ultimately, the key is verse 21, and then again in verse 24, he wants us to see where our heart really is, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he also wants us to see who our master truly is. Is it God or is it money? Now let's read the whole section, and this will start making a little more sense. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. As it turns out, Your possessions, your money, the way you think about them and the way you use them says a lot about where your heart is and who your master is. This is what Jesus makes very clear, that your heart is attached to your treasure. And so wherever your treasures are, that's where your heart is. And Jesus makes clear that there's a path here, that there's two masters on the table here. It's either God or it's money, or mammon, as we'll see in a little bit. And you can't serve both. And so he's helping us see who our God really is. And so Jesus really believes that our budgets, our bank statements, our wallets, and all the possessions we own or the possessions we seek say a lot about what we worship. And so it's very important to Jesus because he's not just about formalism. He's not just about externals. He makes this very clear. He's not just about getting a bunch of religious people to perform certain tasks. He's about your heart. And if he wants your heart, he wants you to evaluate where is your heart going in relation to your possessions, in relation to your money. Again, let me quote Randy Alcorn here. He says this, Our use of money and possessions is a decisive statement of our eternal values. What we do with our money loudly affirms which kingdom we belong to. Whenever we give our resources to further God's kingdom, we cast a ballot for Christ and against Satan, for heaven and against hell. But whenever we use our resources selfishly and indifferently, we further Satan's goals. That's a strong statement. And so this is a corrective Jesus gives us. And really, even more than just being a corrective for how we use our money, it is something that is evaluative. It is something that we ought to hold up to our own lives, evaluate our own budgets, evaluate what we're seeking after, what possessions we're striving for. We hold up the mirror of God's Word and we let this evaluate us. 
And so I think three questions we need to ask ourselves as we look at these verses that we just read. We're going to ask ourselves three questions. Jesus is going to force us to ask ourselves these questions. And as we are honest with ourselves, I think if we answer these questions, it will help us worship Christ better and keep Him central in the way that it is intended. The question The first one is, where is your treasure? The second question will be, what is your perspective? And the third question will be, who is your master? So I want to start, look at verse 19 with me. Follow along, look at that in your Bible. Let's read it again to get it in our minds. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. There's a command here not to do something. It's a negative. You're not to lay up for yourselves or store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why, Jesus? Because if you do that... Moth and rust destroy. He says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, you might at that moment begin to think, well, Jesus, are you against treasures enjoying possessions? Are you against that? And then he goes on, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither wrath nor must, nor <laughs> moth, mix that up. Wrath nor must. I, yeah, that's not a word. Moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus, actually, when we think about this, is concerned about your highest joy, isn't he? Jesus is rooting for you here because he knows that there are things that you can go after and that I can go after that will end up not fulfilling our expectations because they rot, because they break, because they can get stolen. Jesus is actually telling you, hey, I'm for you enjoying treasure, except it's not the treasure on earth. I want something better for you. Isn't this true of God? That he is just abounding in undeserving gifts to us? And that he is concerned about showing our love so dramatically that he'll even tell us, hey, no, don't do that. Just like a good loving father tells his kids, don't go running in the street. It's not going to be good for you. And God is a good loving father, says, I got, there's these things out there in the world that if you pursue them and you make them an idol, they're not going to satisfy you. Jesus is not against you enjoying treasure. Heaven will be an eternity of enjoying the treasures that he bestows upon us. He's not against that. He's not against our joy. So some people think that Christianity, maybe you've raised this way, maybe you've just picked this up along the road, maybe you still think of this, uh, that Christianity is kind of a straitjacket, that Jesus is just trying to hold you tight and guard you from ever going after any pleasure anywhere. I remember growing up and thinking this, that there was a road to obedience to Jesus off this direction, and there was a road to my pleasures off in this direction, and the two would never meet. And I thought that if I needed to be faithful to God, I could have to say no to any pleasure, any joy, any happiness, any satisfaction. And yet you come across a passage like this and you realize it's not that Jesus is against you enjoying pleasure or enjoying treasure even. It's that he knows that if you go after worldly pleasures and earthly treasures, they will not actually satisfy you. Jesus teaches self-denial of the things of the world, not because he's against your happiness and joy, but because he wants you to deny the lesser joys, the fleeting joys, the temporary things that only leave you thirsty for more. He wants you to set aside those for things that last. 
and are deep and real. And so he actually encourages you not to go after those things, but to go after treasures in heaven. He's cheering you on. I want you to have treasure, Jesus says, but heavenly treasure, permanent treasure, lasting treasure. I want you to get the good stuff. I want you to get the stuff that will endure. Now, isn't it true, if we're honest, earthly treasure is tempting. It's always been tempting. From as early as I can remember, I wanted stuff. I mean, most kids, if you ask them what's their favorite day of the year, what are they going to say? They're probably going to say Christmas, and you're going to ask them why. And they're probably not going to say it's because it's Jesus' birthday. Maybe a pastor's kid will. My daughter has. But really the reason that's often also tacked on to the back of that sentence is I get presents on that day. I like getting presents. And from early childhood, most of us grow up just wanting stuff. We accumulate stuff. My older brother, as a junior hire, used to bring a bunch of quarters to school, and his friends who wanted to buy something from the snack bar would come to him and say, hey, I forgot my money. Can I take a quarter? Can I borrow one? And he would say, yes, of course, if tomorrow you bring me an extra quarter. Pay me back and bring me another one. My brother, my brother was charging interest as a little kid. Why? Because he wanted them to get the money. Because if he had an extra money, he would buy more candy from the candy store. And he wanted to have as much stuff as he could. And this is just kind of natural from childhood. We want things. We like toys. We like stuff. Now, when we get a little older, we're better at doing it in a little more sophisticated way. Maybe we don't go after toys like toy cars or things that a child would get at Christmas, but we go after other things. Maybe we chase after the nicest car or the biggest house or the best conveniences, just buying things that will make our life more comfortable, more easy. Uh, toys surround us, not kid toys, but adult toys. And we do these things because this is what we think the, that will make our life better. Because isn't it true the possessions make you promises. You will go walk by that store that has that thing that you want so bad and just listen to your heart, what it says. Oh, if I just had that. Oh, wouldn't life be better if I had one of those? If I just had this treasure, it would really help me out. Maybe it'll make me happy or maybe it'll satisfy. And guess what? It never does, does it? You have it and it, maybe it breaks, or maybe it is fun for a while. But this is the nature of the human heart. We're craving, and we're craving, and we're craving, and we reach for the things of the world, and the things of the world don't satisfy, and we get caught up into this downward spiral. It's like a spell. It's a demonic, satanic, satanic spell. It's the more spell. I want more. I need more because it's never enough. The promises that the stuff we're after doesn't happy doesn't make us happy doesn't make us filled with the satisfaction we thought it would and so Jesus here is showing us there's a better way to live there's a better way to live don't pursue the treasures on earth they're going to break they're going to get stolen they're not going to last I want you to go after something bigger, better, more lasting, more permanent. Treasures in heaven. You say, well, what are the treasures in heaven? Well, this is the, the, the things that we're able to do on earth that have eternal value. 
You know, if you just were paying attention to the previous sermons, there's a statement that Jesus makes again and again. He talks about when you're supposed to be giving, that if we're truly following Jesus, one of the ways we do it is in secret. And the reason we do it in secret, it says that our Father who sees will reward you. And we're supposed to pray. Why? Because our Father who hears in secret will hear us and He will reward us. And we're supposed to fast in secret. Why? Because the Father sees will reward. The Father is not shy in offering heavenly rewards. Every time we are seeking heaven's eternal uh, blessings, we're seeking the, the things that last forever, every time we're doing that, we're storing up, we're investing in heaven. And Jesus is saying, hey, there are things you do like prayer, like fasting, even like giving, that Jesus is making clear the Father sees and the Father will reward someday. So seek that stuff. Seek the things that maybe only the Father sees, that He rewards. What do you treasure? Let's, let's apply this section to our own lives. What is your treasure? Or maybe this question, if you were to make a mental list of the things you possess, maybe it's your bank account, more in general, or more specifically, the stuff you have, what is your treasure? What are those things you think will bring you that satisfaction? What are you living for? Are you pursuing stuff as if it's able to satisfy the deep longs of your heart? See, Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The things you go after, the possessions you're seeking, if you are thinking those things are going to be the answer to life's questions, or those are the things that finally bring you peace and finally bring you security, well, that's your heart. And that's your God, as Jesus will say. That's who you're serving. You're serving money. Earthly treasures lie to you. They will not give you what they offer. And Jesus is sweeping away the lie, and he's telling you, don't fall under the more spell. Think of Adam and Eve. The two richest people to ever have walked the earth, right? They were literally given everything. It was handed to them. Go, it's all yours. Be fruitful and multiply. Rule and subdue it. It's all yours. And the satanic lie that the serpent brought to them in that garden was, yeah, it might all be yours. But hey, isn't God withholding something from you? You could be like God if you take this thing. If you eat this fruit, God doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding back. And sometimes we believe that same lie. As we look around at the possessions that are offered us, we maybe think, well, why can't I have that? God, are you holding back from me? God, do you really care for me? Now, what's important to recognize here is that Jesus isn't condemning people who have money. Otherwise, most Americans would be condemned. He's not condemning people who are rich. He's not saying to be rich is wrong. And so the question that you need to ask yourself, that we need to really evaluate, isn't how much do you have? That's, that's not the main question. A better question is why do you have your stuff? 
Can you answer that? Why do you work so hard for money? Why do you have a house? Why do you have that apartment? Why are you laboring so hard for money? Is it because you think that if you have more, have enough, and if you could fill your life with the comforts and conveniences that money affords, that your life will just be that much better and you'll finally be content? It will not. You will not be more content with more. See, Jesus is saying it's not whether you have or you have not. It's not whether you're rich or you're poor. The question is, why do you have these things? And as most of us here can enjoy the blessings of having much, we have to ask ourselves, why do we have these things? What are we using them for? You see, we, we, we all know that at some point they're not ours anymore. The moment we die, we have no claim on these earthly possessions. They're all going away. And so we have to ask ourselves, why do we have these things? And Jesus would say, use your house. Use your possessions. Use your money as a tool to invest in heaven. Use the stuff God has allowed you to have for His glory. Use your house to serve others. Use your money to be generous and help those in need. Use the possessions you've given to bless people. They're eroding now, like sandcastles on the beach. They're all going to disappear in time. We won't have the stuff we, will, we have now forever. And Jesus is saying here, you only have this stuff for a short time. Use the stuff God has given you to store up treasures in heaven. Use the money you have to give to eternal uh, things. Use the time you have to invest in people who will last forever. Where's your heart? Then you know where your heart is where you know where your treasures are. And so if I were to ask you, what do you treasure most in life? Would you point to a thing, to some stuff, to a car, to a house, to a property? Or would you say, no, my treasure's not here. The thing I treasure most, the thing I want most is for heaven to be filled with the glory of Christ. I want the people I'm laboring to serve here to be there. I want to see Christ exalted. I want to see His name lifted up like the Lord's Prayer we talked about a few weeks ago. Hallowed be Your name, God. That is my greatest delight, that's what I want most and my treasure, God, is you. And so I'm doing everything for those purposes. And so what is your treasure? What are you seeking after? Now, here's a second question Jesus would have us ask as we move along to verse 22. Here's the second question. What is your perspective? He changes the analogy a little bit. He's emphasizing a little bit of the same thing, but it's a different way of looking at it. And look at it with me. Let's read it again to get it in our minds. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
Now, Jesus is saying here that your eye, though it's a small part of your body, it gives light or enables the whole body to be able to see and to be able to react to its surroundings. If your eyes are bad, if you're not able to see, if you're filled with darkness, then it impacts the whole of your body, right? Uh, Just a way of illustrating this, I'll use something that happened over this last week. Ashley and I were on vacation. I mentioned we went into King's Canyon, into the wild, and in the middle of the night, Nora was coughing like crazy, and Ashley asked me, hey, could you go get the medicine? And it was in the car, and I can't see anything. And I'm going like this, looking for a light, and I finally get a light, and I turn it on. And I take a step out of our camper, I look down, and, and to my horror, there is a river of giant ants going under right where I would step off. I, I, they're, they're not the little ants, they're the big ants. There's those ants you see up in the mountains, these giants, and, and they're huge, and there's, they're swarming. I couldn't describe anything other than it's a swarm. They were covering, so I couldn't even see our flip-flops. I mean, there's that weird in the middle of the night. And I'm looking at them at the light, and I go, I gotta jump. So I jump, and I, I get past them, and I get to the, the car. Meanwhile, Ashley, without a light, you can probably see where this is going, wants to remind me of something else I need to grab. And so she opens the door and steps down onto the ground. And I'm trying to be quiet, but I'm trying to also communicate, you're in a, you're in a swarm of giant mountain ants. And I go, Ashley, get, up, get off the thing, move, move. And she goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, there's ants. And so she steps back and I shine the light. Ants crawling all up her leg. She's freaking out in the middle of the night. Nora's coughing. Jack starts crying. It was a blast, guys. We had so much fun. We clean off the ants. And here, it reminded me as I'm looking at this, I go, if she could see, it would, would have been really helpful in a time like that, right? Uh, if your eye is bad, If you can't see, it will impact the rest of your body. If you have glasses and you need your glasses and you don't have your glasses and you try to go out through your whole day without being able to see, you know that it's a big deal to not have your glasses. And so what Jesus is saying, here's the analogy. Your eye that he's referring to here is referring to your perspective, the way you see life. And he's saying that if you have vision here, if you are able to see, if your light is filled with the, or if your eye is filled with the light of God's truth, your whole body, your whole life will follow and it will make sense and you will be able to understand your life. But if you can't see, or if you have the wrong perspective, if your eye is dark, if you don't understand who God is. You don't understand what he's called you to. You don't understand what it is to know him and love him. You're blind. He's saying, this is how it ties back to the previous section. He's saying, if you think that the earthly treasures are the good stuff, because you're blind, you keep reaching for the earthly treasures, you can't sense that the Heaven's treasures are there offered for you, and so you keep reaching for the things of the world. Life's going to be filled with darkness, confusion, maybe pain, maybe depression, because you won't be able to make sense of anything, because you won't be able to have the truth to shine and to give you guidance for what you need to do. It would be like there's a table set before you and there's this nice juicy steak and the aroma is 
coming off that piece of meat and making you just your mouth is watering and you want to enjoy it, but right next to it is this rotting, nasty piece of meat, old, that only flies want anything to do with it. And you walk up and you smell the one, uh, you smell the sizzling steak, but then you go to reach for it because you can't see, you grab the rotten piece and you fill your mouth with it and you go, why does it taste so bad? Well, this is kind of the image here. If your eye's bad, it's going to mess up all of your, the rest of your life. If you can't tell which treasures last and which treasures don't last, if you can't tell what's good and healthy and beautiful and right, uh, the truth that God has given you, and so you keep going after that which is unhealthy, that which is rotting, that which is temporary, that which will always let you down, your life will be filled with darkness. It's a terrible place to live. Because you're always trying to put your hope in something and it never satisfies and it always lets you down. And so friends, maybe your life has felt pretty confusing, disorienting. Maybe you felt lost or abandoned or just low lately. And sometimes life takes turns and life becomes hard, but maybe... Maybe it's because you made decisions and chased after treasures that were earthly treasures that let you down, right? Couldn't your life be so disoriented because you kept thinking something was going to make you happy and so you went for it and you went for it and you chased after it and it didn't. And so you feel like you're in darkness. Maybe it was that job you thought would satisfy and it's not and it's frustrating you. The enterprise you started on didn't meet your expectations. That person you had put your hopes and dreams on let you down. Sometimes life takes hard turns, sometimes just because that's the way it is, sometimes because we make bad decisions because we're walking in darkness. And so Jesus here is bringing this up because he wants us to ask the question, can you see what Jesus sees here? Do you have the perspective here? Are you still thinking that the earthly stuff is going to make you happy? This is kind of like what he's getting at. If you had an eye that could see it, would you still chase after the rotting stuff? The stuff that's getting stolen? The stuff that's breaking down? Are you still thinking that's going to satisfy you? You've got to have an eye that sees that that stuff will not make you happy. It will not satisfy. It will not fulfill. Go after the other stuff. See, all of us, friends, all of us, every one of us, you and I are in constant need of light shining in to remind us of what really matters and what's temporary. Isn't that true? Aren't you, let's be honest, aren't you often tempted to think that stuff can fill the heart void that you feel? That more things, more money, that raise, and so we always need light, the light of Scripture. And so this is one of the reasons, just to apply it to us this morning, this is one of the reasons we gather as a church. <laughs> this is one of the reasons you're here this morning and I'm here this morning, is because we gather knowing, Lord, if I don't get light, if I'm not given a reminder of the light of Scripture, if I'm not able to see these truths, my whole life will be in darkness. And so I come to church saying, Lord, I need light. Give me light today. And so what do we do? We gathered. That's a huge thing, isn't it? 
gathering, just the sheer fact of getting in the same room together is helpful in us getting out of our own isolated, even sometimes downward spirals in our ways of thinking. We get together and we're reminded of who we are and what Christ has done. Mark sent me a quote, and I'm gonna sh- he doesn't know this, but I'm going to share it with you because it actually fits with this point very perfectly. We gather because we need light, and this is, this is what he shared. I'm not sure who the author was, but you can ask Mark later. He, he said this, when we are in meaningful relationships with one another, we each bring unique perspective and experience to our knowledge of Christ's love. One person has been rescued from a menacing addiction. Another has been brought through deep suffering. Still another has been sustained by God's grace in a difficult marriage. The list goes on. When we gather to share our stories, we see a different aspect of the diamond that is the love of Christ. Just to gather and to talk into share life is again to see a little more clearly what Jesus has done for sinners, isn't it? It's a light we all need. And so we gather. What else did we do this morning to help the lights be on? We sang, right? We sang truths. And what Ephesians 5 says is that our singing is not just to God, but it's to each other. One of the reasons we sing is so that we would encourage one another. It's not just private, me and God. No, we sing corporately. So when you sing, you ought to also be listening to the voices around you. And that helps us remember, I'm not alone. There are others here with me in the fight. And we're clinging to these truths together. And the more you get to know each other and you hear the stories of what people are going through and you also see them singing these truths with gusto, holding to Christ together, oh, it's a beautiful thing. The lights stay on a little longer. We read God's Word. I mean, if you ever want God to speak to you and you want to hear His voice, open, close your eyes, read God's Word. That's God speaking. So when we read Scripture, we sat passively and we heard from God. I mean, is there any better way to have the lights stay on, to enable us to see, to remind ourselves what really matters? We listen to the preaching of the Word. We're doing that right now. We're confronted with this, these truths. We're asked questions. We're forced to evaluate our own lives. We're even confronted. We're comforted. The Word of God is explained and applied, and now we're forced to react to Scripture, and we can't react passively. Why? We do all of these things so that the eye would be healthy, so that we would be able to see, so that we wouldn't be duped into the satanic lie that the earthly treasures all around us will satisfy. We need to be reminded of heaven and that it exists in hell, that it's a real place and that we have a mission to be on. We need to be reminded of these things. And if we don't gather regularly, we will not have these reminders. We will walk in darkness. And if we walk in darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, you might be thinking, well, okay, so I need to go to church more. Is that how I am able to see? Well, that helps, but it only helps those who have already been introduced to Jesus Christ. This is where the gospel comes in. If you have been in darkness and your life has been characterized by darkness, whether it's sin and guilt and shame, you can't get out of it by just coming to church more. That's not the solution. Ultimately, that's not going to hinder it, but it's not going to save you. 
doesn't matter how much light you shine on a blind person, they're blind. And they need the miraculous sovereign grace of God to open their eyes. And the gospel message of the good news of God's salvation extended towards sinners is this, that you were created in God's image, that He loved you, that He made you for Himself to enjoy Himself forever, but you in your sin have rebelled against that plan. And you've walked away from Him and you've been separated from yourself. And the bad news is, and maybe you already know this, that you can't improve yourself. The good news is that God comes for sinners. That He came for them in the person of Christ. That He lived the perfect life. And that He died on the cross to pay sin's penalty for anyone who would believe. And if you would believe even now, then all your sins would be forgiven. And that God would adopt you into His family. And that He would extend to you these promises that will go from everlasting to everlasting. That are yours, that you can take to the bank. And that you will take into eternity as His son or as His daughter. When you understand that and you believe that by faith, turning from your sins and repentance and trusting in Christ alone, when you do that, the lights go on. And then every week on there out, we need to have the lights kept on. And so we read Scripture and we gather as a church and we pursue the truth so that we'll never be duped into thinking that the earthly treasures are where it's at. So what's your perspective? Can't you tell the earthly treasures are not going to last. Don't you realize this life is so short you can't take anything with you? Can you see that? Do you have that perspective? Are you living that way? Here's the last question. Who is your master? Who is your master? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or lo and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now Jesus, again, lovingly clarifies that there are two options before you. He says this to religious people. This is important to remember that even the most religious people have to really evaluate themselves because even though their words might say that they love God, their lives could actually be expressions of worship to money. Jesus wants to make clear that these two options are in different directions. That you can't serve God and money at the same time. You can't do those things because these are opposite directions that God is saying, I'm alone in my authority in my worship. Uh, God doesn't want any competitors. Uh, the, God doesn't want people who are on the same rank as Him in terms of your affection. He has the sole position in our hearts. This is the throne that He demands from His people that we give all allegiance to Him. On the other side, there's money and possessions and the stuff. Mammon is uh, often how it's translated, God and money, but the word money could refer to more than just dollars and cents. It could also refer to your possessions, the stuff you have, mammon. And he says you can't serve both, and we know what it is to serve God. It's, it's to understand His Word, to walk in obedience to His revealed Word, and then to express that in the way we love our church family and the love the lost, and we live out God's will in the world. We, we know what it is to serve God, but what does it mean to serve money? That might be a little bit harder of a question to answer. How do you serve an inanimate object? You don't bow down to it, right? It doesn't give you any orders, and you don't walk around doing what money says. But by the context, 
which is referring to what you treasure and where your heart is. To serve money means to treasure it, to trust it, to believe its promises, to believe that it will satisfy you, to believe that it will give you what you are working for, what you long for, what you think you need, and so you will work for it. And really, here's what I want you to think about. The people who serve money orient their lives around attaining it. They order their lives, they organize their lives around attaining possessions. Attaining a lifestyle they desire. So ask the question for yourself. Who is your master? Let Jesus evaluate your life. The life-orienting reality for you and for me ought to be service to Jesus Christ. What I mean by that is the filter that you use when you think about every big life decision is not where can I live to make the most money? What job can I pursue that will give me the best options in my career? But the question is how can I best serve Jesus? That's the life organizing principle. Your life is organized around this question, where can I and how can I serve Jesus? That's what it means to serve Jesus as your master. To make money your master is to ask this question, how can I work, where can I live so that my life is getting the most income? So that I'm able to get the most comforts and conveniences, the most earthly treasures I can possess. You following me? Often, we orient our lives around which job will give us the best salary. Often, we organize our lives around which career will give us the most opportunities for advancement. And I think Jesus would say, you're in very, very grave danger of making money your master. If all of your life's decisions are based on how will you get more money and how you will get a life you so desire. Now let me make something very clear. To try to get money is not wrong. What matters is why are you trying to get money? I know people who have been rich in, in money, that they owned a lot of things, and they were rich in good deeds, and rich in generosity, and rich in love, and they were living out the blessings that God had given them. They were then blessing others, and what a tremendous gift to the church to have people who have money and use it for the kingdom, and they are storing up treasures in heaven by the way they use their money. So I'm not saying money is bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't organize, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't have money as a consideration in the way you plan your life. It is a consideration, consider it. It's not wrong to have it. But the question is whether your big life decisions all revolve around serving Jesus or serving money, around serving Jesus and making Him known and being on His mission, or just getting money and living the life that's comfortable that you want. 
When I talk to junior hires, it's a, it's a fun. I used to be the youth pastor back in Simi Valley, and, and on Sunday nights we'd have our junior high group. And one of my favorite things to do with the junior high crowd um, was to, when they start complaining about their homework, which basically every Sunday night, we'd start complaining about your homework, and I'd ask them, start asking them questions. Well, why do you do homework? And they'd say, well, you know, i got to get good grades. Why do you need to get, get good grades? Well, if I don't get good grades, I'll get kicked out of school. So why don't you want to get kicked out of school? So well, if I get kicked out of school, I can't go to college. Well, why, don't, why do you want to go to college? Well, I guess if I go to college, I'll be able to get a job. Well, why do you want to get a job? Well, I make some money, I guess, support a family someday. Why do you want to make money and support a family someday? And then they pause. They go, uh, that's what I'm supposed to do? Is that it? And I, I'd, I'd ask them, and I go, so, so is, is that your life? Is that your life? That's it? The pinnacle is to just get to enough money so that you can have a family and support them. Period, the end, no other goals higher than that. That's it. So the only reason you're doing anything is just to get a comfortable life? Now, I wouldn't say it so harshly in the moment. I wouldn't say it, but I'll say it to you. If that's all your life goal is, if that's what your life is oriented around, you're worshiping mammon. Like you're worshiping money because every life decision isn't based on God, isn't based on His glory, isn't based on serving Him. You aren't positioning your life to be effective for Jesus. You aren't storing up treasures in heaven. You're just trying to accumulate what you need to live a comfortable and convenient life. And if we as parents are raising kids to just get enough money to live comfortably, period, the end. We're raising idolaters. So we don't serve money. We serve Jesus. And whatever money God allows us to have in the works or careers that we go down, whatever money He allows us to have, we don't serve it. We can use it. It is a tool to serve Jesus and to store up treasures in heaven. And money is not the organizing principle of our life. It's not like we say, I'm going to make sure I have enough money, then I'm going to figure out how to serve Jesus, which is often how we make decisions. I want to make sure I have the right job and the right career, then I'll somehow figure out in the margin of my life how I'm going to serve Jesus. That's not what Jesus says. That might be in danger of serving money, Jesus would say this, I want you to serve me. I am your master. Follow me. Love me. Treasure me. I'll take care of the rest. He's going to say that in the next section. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added to you. Go after him. Serve him. We don't set out to serve money. I don't think any of us here would say, no, yeah, I made a decision many years ago that I'm going to serve money. That money will be my God. Uh, no one says that, but it happens slowly and incrementally over years that we slip into serving money. And it happens when we make decisions for convenience sake rather, rather than risk-taking obedience to Christ. When we seek out comfort above sacrificial love. It's not wrong to be rich. It's not wrong to be comfortable. It's not wrong to have a convenient lifestyle. But all of those things that you have, if you have them, are to be given to the service of King Jesus so that you invest in the next life. 
storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. So if your life is a solar system, what's the sun around which everything revolves? What's at the center? What has the most gravitational pull on the decisions you make? When you're planning out your life and you're thinking ahead about the, the things that you're going to do, the, things you're gonna, the places you're going to go, the things you're going to buy, what is the most weighty question? Is it mainly about getting or keeping money or stuff? Or is it mainly, I want to serve Jesus? And I want to serve him with all my stuff, whatever God allows me to have, and whatever possessions I can have or cannot have, that isn't the main issue. I want to serve him, and I'm trusting that God will take care of me. And so I will choose to serve Jesus first, and then I will organize my career around that or my job around that. I will choose Jesus first wherever he calls me to go, and I'll make money on the side if God allows, as God allows and so what's at the center of your solar system? Or as Jesus put it, who's your master? So God is the best master. God is by far, far away the best master in what we're going to see next week. Sorry, next week we're going to be talking about other things. In a while, we're going to see that God is not merely a master. He's a father. He's a loving and caring father. And he loves us. And he is worth giving our full trust to and following him as closely as we can. He is the way we see and the perspective he offers us is that don't live for this life store of treasures in heaven. We'll finish with this story I remember reading about. There's a man by the name of Lawrence Dow. He was a, a poor guy. He lived in a ghetto in, outside of Philadelphia. He loved the Lord though. And every Sunday, he would be in church, rain or shine, week in, week out, he would be there, and he would be at the front door, and he would be shaking hands, big smile, greeting people when they came in. He loved the Lord, and he loved God's people, and he spent every Sunday with them. He was a simple guy. He was a humble man, and he served in, in, in little ways. He was never up front. He never led a Bible study. It was simple. He, in his old age, got cancer. And he died, and the church that he served for all those years did the funeral. And it was a big church. It was a big church in Philadelphia where he served, and they figured that the big sanctuary and the ample parking would be enough for this man. They wondered how much family did he really have. And the day the funeral came, the sanctuary was jam-packed, standing room only. There were parking problems because the people didn't have enough parking to come into this man's funeral. The church he served was a big, and it was a notable church in downtown, and many people that day thought maybe the president was in town or maybe some big-name guy, CEO, someone that everyone wanted to come here speak. No, it was just Lawrence, the greeter, old man, never had any formal education, never accumulated much in life in terms of possessions, but evidenced by the massive group of people who wanted to be there to celebrate his death and celebrate his life. He was poor in terms of earthly possessions, but rich in heavenly treasures. 
He had invested in people. At the funeral, many people had come up and they shared how this man, Lawrence, had impacted their lives. Many had come to faith through his ministry. They came to faith and he had discipled them and met with them. And as young believers, they learned much. Three different pastors came up and testified how Lawrence was the man who led them to the Lord. Lawrence's children came up and spoke about how earnest he was and how much of a man of integrity he was. His grandchildren came up and they said the same thing and spoke of his legacy, a holy, upright, joyful man who just loved to serve and loved people. And he gave and he gave and he gave of himself, not uh, using his efforts and his resources to accumulate the things on earth, but to pour into the lives of people he didn't have much, but he served and he served. And after the service, one of the people leaned over and said to the person who was writing what I, this article I read, he said, it just goes to show what God can do in the life of any man who yields himself unreservedly to Jesus. Friends, he didn't have treasures on earth, not many. But in every way he could, in whatever way he could, he devoted his life to storing up treasures in heaven. He could see clearly the value. The light was on like we spoke about. He had the right perspective that heaven is what matters, that people are what matters, that serving is what matters. And so he served Jesus as his loving master. And when he died, he flew home to the king of glory and he looked at his savior in the face and I'm sure that Jesus in that moment said, well done good and faithful servant. Well done. This is a good time for us to pause and ask ourselves, who are you living for? Who's your master? Where's your treasure? What are you chasing after? Do you have the right perspective on life? Can you see that this vapor of a life will be gone tomorrow and we will enter into eternity? And what will matter then? Live for those things. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we confess that maybe it's out of fear that we seek the things of earth because we don't trust your fatherly care. Maybe it's because we think that you don't really satisfy, and so we need all these other things to make us happy. And Lord, often these decisions to chase after earthly pleasures are not premeditated. It's just that we get caught up in the darkness, and we forget the light, and so we don't see rightly. So Lord, we confess that. We need your help. We need the Spirit to give us the light to see. We need your Word to shine on our hearts. And we need to value what you value. And I pray that we would be a people who may be poor on earth, but we are rich in heaven because we've been laying up for ourselves treasures there. And nothing is destroying those treasures and nothing is breaking them and nothing is stealing them because you are keeping it eternally secure. And so, Lord, let us live for you and you alone as our only master. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.